0: Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained, and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete.
1: Hi, fans. I have Alana Ash with me today. She's one of my clients that I've recently worked with, and she herself is a certified strength and conditioning coach with a master's degree in exercise science. A little bit about Alana, she grew up as a female athlete focusing on soccer. Her soccer team ran a lot for their training, so when she stopped playing soccer and she continued running, she completed several marathons and half marathons, But after being confused as to why she could run a marathon, but not even do one pull-up, she became interested in strength and conditioning. So that's when Alana went back to school and obtained her master's degree. And as mentioned, she's now a strength and conditioning coach and has her own career with her own business, The Better Coach. When she's not coaching others, she's training herself. And though not training for anything specific at the very moment, she enjoys getting out for runs and getting after it with weight training regularly. So... Alana, thanks for being willing to come on the podcast and, and chat with me today.
2: Yes, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah. So um, I'd love to kind of dig into your past a little bit with as much as you're willing to share. I obviously, since you and me know each other, but you know, you have more of a story of just being an athlete and being interested in, in sports and how to make your body, you know, adapt to running and adapt to strength training. But part of your story also starts with like, you know, kind of a deep history of, of eating concerns that started, you know, when you were getting into sports as well. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with our audience kind of what that looked like for you, what your relationship with food looked like in the past as more of a youth athlete.
2: Yeah, sure. And I actually don't know if like I've even disclosed like all of it to you. But so I I grew up playing soccer and I guess my disordered eating started when one summer I had put on like a little bit of weight, like it really wasn't an amount, like a, a heavy amount at all, but it was a little bit. And I just, I was a teenage girl, not happy with it and decided that next year going to school that like, okay, I'll like go on a diet and lose a little bit of weight. And I had a lot of anxiety growing up, like just throughout middle school and high school. And I kept a lot of just the anxiety and most things to myself. So when I had this idea that I wanted to go on a diet and lose the weight, I kept that to myself as well. And I didn't know what I was doing at all. I I think I just attached to like the things that you hear in like magazines at the time, right? Or on headlines. So like Carbs are bad, low fat, like all that stuff. And as I was doing that, my anxiety, I think, like I didn't know this, but my anxiety kind of latched onto that. And it was a way for me to just feel in control. And I was also so competitive. Like I wasn't the best soccer player, I was good. I made varsity for four years. I wasn't the fastest player, but I was the hardest working player. Like no one on my team worked harder than me. And once I started to diet, I kind of had that same mentality. I was like, I'm going to be the best dieter ever. And I was, but that kind of ended up blanking on the word, but like uh, coming back to to kick me in the butt, backstabbing me, I guess, or that's not the word, but it ended up not working to my benefit at that time because at that time, my competitive dieter mentality, it just like took off and like, I just would had all these rules And I had, like, it ended up to be full blown anorexia by the time I was, I think, a senior in high school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's so interesting because some of those, this is why disordered eating and athletics, it's one of the reasons why there's such an overlap is because some of our personality traits that help us excel in sport of being super competitive, being super, Regimented or hard on yourself, which in many ways can bring success, you know, as, as being a great, one of the hardest workers on your soccer team that, that brought you success in many ways and having those kind of personality traits. But when we apply it to eating, yeah, it, it doesn't work quite the same. Right. Right. It doesn't result in success the same way, but we are so good. If you relate to, to, you know, like that's kind of my story too, you know, of just being so, I got so good at dieting. I got, and whether that's the right term or or not that people relate to these days, like I, I got good at just being strict with my nutrition, but that wasn't, didn't result in the performance the same way that being strict with your practice times or dedicated to your skill work is right.
2: Yeah. And I think it is worth it to, Maybe even like going to that a little bit further, because I also remember just being a a teenage girl. And even when I was in treatment, just like I have to weigh less than you or I have to not eat as much as you. Right. So like it kind of falls into that and even not in treatment, like in high school when I was still um, eating with my friends in high school, like just making up those rules or playing like those little games with my eating disorder. Like if another girl was eating that much carbs or that many carbs, like I'd eat less than her. So, so, yeah, it's just I think that's definitely worth pointing out as well, because I feel like a lot of people probably do that.
1: Yeah. It becomes a game.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. It becomes a competition. And I think the word I had a conversation with one of my clients this week and and she was using the word comparison. Like, why do I keep falling in this comparison trap of comparing you know, what I ate and how I moved today to what I ate and how I moved yesterday or what my friend is doing too. And and I'm so glad that we're talking about this now because it's more than just a comparison. It's that competitiveness.
2: Yeah. And then it also got dangerous too, because I would like I remember I would be standing in the shower and like ca- trying to count how many calories I ate that day. And if I did a certain amount one day, well then the next day it had to be either that or less. Like it couldn't be over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously these are things we're saying like, well, it makes sense. You know, you had that competitive nature and drive, but it wasn't working. That obviously was not a good thing. And it, we, we want to be clear about that. And it was a full blown, you said full blown anorexia by senior year of high school to the point of going to a treatment facility for it. Right. What was, I'm, I'm also interested to know, cause you were in high school at that time, like you might think differently about it now, but if you could go back to your high school self, like, did you have any moment where you were like, this is bad or was that a, a forced thing for you with, you know, your parents kind of forcing you into treatment or anything like that?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. It's now, like, I, I definitely could look back on it and have a little different opinion and I'll talk about what I think now. But I remember at the time, there was part of me that, wanted to go and knew that I needed to go. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the whole part of me. I think there was also a bigger part of me that when I went there, like I just I did not want to let go of my eating disorder because it made my anxiety manageable, or at least I thought so. And I think I remember just like going there and thinking that I wasn't as sick as everybody else there and comparing myself to everybody else there. And I wasn't doing the work that they asked me to do when I was there. And like, I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm here, I'm getting help. So it's going to get better. But I didn't equate the fact that like, I had to continu- I had to not restrict to get better. Right. So like I, I was still restricting when I could, Um, it was an outpatient. So I, I think I had two meals there and the rest of what I ate was at home. So I was able to restrict at times. So at the time, I guess that's how I thought about it. But like now I, yeah, now I guess I have the hindsight to, to realize that didn't need to be there. Um, But I also, I think also have the hindsight of knowing that like timing is everything. And like, I got better when it was right for me to get better. And when the eating disorder just wasn't serving me anymore and it was more hurting. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just interesting to reflect upon because it, you know, yeah, just going to a treatment center or if it's outpatient or signing up with a dietitian, like working with a therapist, that doesn't just mean you'll get better. You have to put in the work. And so, in order to do that, you really do have to find your why, your reason why. And because eating disorders can be so manipulative in your brain, it can be hard to find that reason why it can be really, really difficult to find that reason why because like you said, you felt like it was a way to manage your anxiety. We know in the long term that wasn't it was creating more anxiety. But like in the moment, sometimes it can be hard to separate that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I probably didn't even realize that like up until recently.
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, you know, you, you did eventually, you know, get better and and get out of that state of anorexia. And I think I'd I'd like to know cuz I know we're we're kind of fast forwarding here a little bit but like throughout the next decade or so. <laughs> um, throughout the next 10 years of of your life, like did you ever feel like you were recovered, you know, like what cuz some people feel like they're never truly recovered and I would like to know Your feeling on that, like after you went to treatment?
2: Yeah. So, what what happened with me was was interesting. And like, I don't at all recommend this for anybody to do. When after that treatment, I was a senior in high school at that time, so I went away to college the next year, and for the next four years, I was in college, and I got into drugs and alcohol very heavily. So that made the eating disorder voice turned down. And I actually remember when I was in college, like just doing, my friend had a prescription to a certain drug and she gave me one. And like taking that was the first time where I just didn't think about food for like five consecutive hours. And that was just such freedom to me. And like, I loved that and started to chase that one instead. So that went on, I guess, until I was 25. And from like t- after that eating disorder treatment center to when I was 25, it's kind of like food, not that food wasn't an issue, but the drugs and the alcohol took over and that became the main issue. And then getting sober, like I remember, I was so afraid that my eating disorder was going to crop back up because I never really dealt with it. And it did. And then it wasn't until I would say maybe when I was like 20 eight ish that I finally felt recovered from it. But it took me like just going back to therapy and sobriety. And it took me working with a few more dietitians. And like, I also had a lot of life changes going on during that. So like, I think once everything kind of settled down into that, like it obviously didn't just go away. Right. But I think I also developed tools and insights to not really listen to those voices that I knew were Hurting me. That makes
1: sense. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this, Alana, because this this is very common for when we kind of stop one negative or self destructive behavior that it can almost just transfer over into another if we're not addressing the root problem, right? At which we haven't even gotten to that just yet, but you kind of started this conversation with saying anxiety, you know, like maybe anxiety was the root problem. We tried to control it with, with eating, had to fix that. And then it turned into, you know, drugs or alcohol. Many other people might relate to over-exercise, like, okay, now I'm eating okay, but now I'm over-exercising and abusing movement or other people might turn to promiscuity or something like that, attention-seeking behaviors, self-harm behaviors, like it's very eye-opening. And I think I want to highlight this to listeners of the importance of getting to the root problem so that it doesn't just transfer over into something else, which is something you experienced, you know? Yeah. So when you're around 28 is probably when you really started addressing those root issues and working with therapists and kind of getting more to the bottom of why some of this, why, why you're the type of person that kind of went down this path in the first place.
2: Yeah, I would say so. And I I do think that up until that point, I had been working on it, but I don't know if it was like with a hundred percent honesty really, or like like, I guess what happened was I, I went away to school to get my master's degree in Colorado, like thinking that's what I wanted, thinking I wanted to live there and start a life out there. And I got very anxious out there very quickly because actually a therapist had me do a an exercise where I like circled my core values and family was one on there. And I was just like, wait, I just moved. Like my family's in New Jersey. And I was like, I just moved across the country and I want to start a life out here. But I value family. Like, this is weird. and. Honestly, like through that therapy, I went through when I was in Colorado. Once I'm back to New Jersey, a lot of the anxiety dissipated a little bit, but I was able to start to utilize some of those tools that I learned in therapy at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I think what I'm hearing too is like, you know, a, such an important part of this process for you is, is being true to yourself, being honest with yourself right? There are a lot of time periods where we're going through the motions, but not really being honest with ourselves. And so that's, that's really going back to what you're saying, finding your why is such an important part, whether it be recovering from eating issues or otherwise, like finding that why. And to do that, you you do have to be honest with yourself. I love that exercise of figuring out what your core values are. And then asking yourself, am I living in alignment with this? And if I'm not, maybe I need to change that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So so I don't know if you want to dig in like, that's, that's a, a, a lot about your past. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and then it's, I want to kind of fast forward to when you came to me and, you know, you, this is then a few, a couple of years later and, and having done even more, you know, work on yourself and, and working in this space as well with health and fitness and getting your master's degree in it and everything. One thing If you don't mind me sharing, that I think is interesting is when you found me, you were concerned that you had a sugar addiction. And I want to bring that up because of like we were mentioning, like the transfer of like being addicted to restriction, to then being addicted to alcohol or or drugs, to then wondering if you're addicted to sugar. And and I didn't know when I first start working with a client. I, I don't necessarily know, you know, so I'm like, maybe she is, or or maybe not you know um and we figured that out together which we'll get to in a moment but i'd love to know from your perspective you know what were your reasonings for reaching out to me and joining us over here at rise up nutrition
2: yeah with the the sugar addiction thing i was listening to like so many podcasts and reading books on how like sugar is the worst thing ever mm mm-hmm. and knowing like I'm me. So I know about my history with eating disorders. Right. And there was, I think a part of me that was, I, don't know, I was just, I was confused. Right. And I didn't understand why I was confused because I'm like, I'm, I'm recovered or I think I'm recovered. I have the master's and like, I'm a strength coach. Like I should know, I should know like more things than I do, especially in regards to sugar and I was also learning just more and more about like the processed food industry and like companies like that and how they manipulate food to make it so that you you just eat more of it and more of it. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want to eat that food again because I don't like that message. Right. So I was think trying to just figure out what my relationship was with sugar is going to look like or was going to look like. I don't even think I really even knew all of that when I started to see you. I think I was just like yeah. hey, I'm like at night I seem to really crave and eat a lot of sugar. And to me that was like that was confusing because of what I was hearing and learning about at the time and with all the stuff with my past. And it was just very confusing. Um so I think those are the main reasons why I had come to you.
1: Yeah. And I'm so glad you did because there are just so many messages like that between documentaries, podcasts, books and everything. And it's, it's creates fear, right? (laughs) Like the term I always use is like, it's fear mongering. It just kind of creates fear around food. And I think what was interesting too, is, is as we did work together, we were teasing out like, you know, what are the foods that you want to eat that are in alignment, once again, in alignment with maybe your core values when it comes to nutrition, you know, and and we all have that choice. Do we want to eat, you know, processed food or not? That is a personal choice to make, but to, to make it for reasons that are truly your own and that you're still nourishing your body in a way that it, you know, performs well and functions well and is, you know, quote unquote, healthy. And we're not just doing it because of some, you know, scare tactic, fear tactic that we heard on a podcast, you know, saying that sugar is evil, right? So I think what's great, well, and we'll hear it from you, but I think what's great about what you just said, Alana, is a lot of people are knowledgeable about nutrition, you are knowledgeable about nutrition, you have that knowledge. But knowledge isn't power. All the time, we always say knowledge is power. It isn't. Um, It's, it's how are you applying that knowledge? How are you applying it to yourself? You know, and I think that's where you had all of this knowledge. And it was like, I, I don't know how to apply it to myself.
2: Right? Yeah.
1: Right. That was the difference. And that was kind of the main reason for okay, then I guess I need, and you were also, I will say this too, you're somebody who had worked with dietitians in the past. So you were open to that concept of like getting help in this regard, which is awesome because, you know, I think it is hard for people who work in the field of health, wellness, nutrition, strength, you know, athletes, it's hard to admit that we might need help in this space. So you were, I I think, good at that already of recognizing it's okay to need help.
2: And I mean, with that last piece you just said, too, it's also helpful because like to just kind of give you, hey, you're in charge of my nutrition because I have all this other stuff that I have to do. And like I have a job and I'm starting to build a business and like I have my own clients. And this is just too much for me to think about and do right now. And then which was really cool, too, is like you did the whole nutrient analysis and like that's something that, yeah, I know how to do that what how like that's so time consuming and I just can't do that for myself right now so that was like really helpful and I think another reason why I had started to work with you yeah totally I
1: mean even me like I'll I'll do it in the the reverse honestly being a dietitian I know so much about training and I know so much about running but like I want somebody else to build my running plan for me you know like I know I could do it but I've got other stuff to do I'm going to, so it's literally like we swap places like that. Like I hire coaches for the athletic side of things to help me and you as a coach might need to hire someone to help the nutrition side of things. Yeah, totally. We can't, no matter how much knowledge you have in the field, sometimes we still can't do it all and apply it all to ourselves perfectly. So
2: yeah, and you get kind of, I feel like at least for me, when I do my own um, strength and conditioning, I get like, my bias is in there a hundred percent. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Okay, fans, I'm going to pause this conversation to let you ladies know about the Rise Up Nutrition Coaching Program. We have a lot of ways that we can help clients here at Rise Up Nutrition. And this is one of two amazing opportunities to get the direct help you need. With our team of sports dietitians, this program helps adult female athletes fuel to perform without strict dieting. Ah, how good does that sound? Finally, you will understand nutrition for day-to-day training. Eat intuitively with foods that you love and be race day or competition day ready with energy and confidence. We have more details about what's included and how we can help on our website RiseUpNutritionRun.com slash group coaching. Links are in the show notes, but I quickly want to share what a few of our clients have said about their experiences in this program so far. Sophie, a trail runner says, quote, I really encourage anyone who has struggled with eating and lives an active lifestyle to consider this program because it's so hard to know if you're fueling properly without someone on the outside looking in from an objective point of view. I now feel confident in my food choices and more than anything confident that I can actually eat more and that it will only benefit my health and my training. Sarah, another one of our clients and triathletes says, for anyone that is struggling with diet culture, a history of disordered eating, and is trying to learn how to eat and fuel this is a program they should strongly consider. I've been active my whole life and trying to fit a mainstream diet has never worked. In fact, it's created more problems than good. Working with Rise Up Nutrition has made things very simple. So again, if you are an adult female athlete that wants to perform better without strict dieting, click that link in our show notes to apply to the Rise Up Nutrition coaching program and we would be thrilled to have you join us. Until then, we will get back to the conversation.
1: We had a podcast recording previously with my partner, Jenna Stranzel, and we were talking, you know, because she's a dietitian, so the two of us talking about how we're helping each other with our n- nutrition, kind of going back and forth, which is really nice. So yeah, because you have your own bias when you're looking at things yourself mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So, you know what were some of in working together, you kind of mentioned like, okay, it was just so nice to have someone look at my nutrition and give me feedback without that bias. What were some of your other biggest like insights or takeaways from, from doing this program?
2: I think one of the biggest ones was you were able to look at what I was eating throughout the day and just being like, Hey, you're not eating enough carbs throughout the day. Like no wonder you're craving sugar at night. And I think I, not that I was, scared of carbs at that point but I almost lost sight of how many someone who's as active as me needs so it was really helpful to I guess like just hear you say like no you could have this amount and like it's okay like you gave me I guess the permission to to do that again because I think just some something I, I lost something there along the way within those few years of like remembering that, hey, I run and lift multiple times a week and carbs are wonderful for me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't necessarily have a fear of carbs, but we still weren't fueling with enough of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a huge shift for you. And as we did that, going back to the whole like sugar thing, that did over time kind of improve your relationship with sugar rather naturally. Am I right?
2: Yeah, it did. And I like I, I didn't know if that was really going to happen. <laughs> I was kind of just like, I remember saying to you, like, okay, I'll eat more carbs throughout the day, but like, I continue, like, I'm going to continue to create sugar at night. And I, I think just with my past and working with dietitians enough and knowing that, like, I hired you for a reason at this point, I needed to put that trust in you. But like, honestly, I think it's important to say, like, my 18-year-old self might not have been able to put that trust in you. But I think I had just been so far through everything that I, I wasn't like, it wasn't even a big deal to do it. So once I started to eat enough throughout the day, yeah, I did not really get cravings at night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think teasing out that your relationship with sugar, going back to things like, you know, do I, how do I feel about eating processed foods and sugar and stuff like that? Because you were nourishing your body uh, better then it didn't really become such an issue or decision so much of like, oh, no, I'm eating processed foods because, well, I'm I'm not eating so much of it anyways. And when I do, it's a conscious choice and I'm enjoying it and I know I'm nourishing really great otherwise. So it kind of became a non-issue.
2: Yeah. And I don't even know if you know this part of it, but like I, I had a lot of fun with it. Like I would <laughs> so for, I did a lot of meal prep and like one week I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this like new grain or carb. Like, and we, we did it kind of like towards the end of the summer into the fall. Right. Yeah. So, well, actually, I guess after I started working with you, I like had so much squash that I never had before. And I like try new things with different squash. And I think when we were working together, I would try like buckwheat one week and barley the next week. And like, it was just, it became fun for me to try all of these different grains.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that food should be fun. Yeah. And I think that's another thing when we when we talk about like, because we work together for about 12 weeks. And it is, you know, going back to maybe when we, we were 18, you know, we didn't actually do the things that someone was telling us to do. It's like, okay, I've got 12 weeks to invest and really try and to do those little challenges to make that effort of every week, I'm going to, you know, apply what Lindsay said in a different way and a fun way. Because once you do that for 12 weeks in a row, then it's something that, you you know, your whole, everything has changed. You've opened yourself up to so many other foods. You've opened your up to def- opened yourself up to a different way of thinking about food it's become more of a routine and a habit and so it's something that you can keep up I think more naturally because it's been it's been weeks since you and I chatted actually it's been weeks since you stopped the program so how have things been going on your own Alana (laughs) catch up with you now
2: (laughs) um they're they're going good it's interesting because I knew obviously we were going to do this and I started a job in a school recently So. I don't know if you've ever worked in a school, but there's just like candy and treats everywhere all the time, especially like we just had um, Halloween. Yeah. And I noticed, so something we talked about at the end of a few of, at the end of my time working with you was how you kind of get to the point where like you just eat so many processed foods or so much processed foods, you kind of like just get sick of it. And I I like wasn't even concerned with like the amount of candy, for instance, that I was eating because um, I just wasn't thinking about it. I guess, but very like earlier this week, I was just like, "Don't want candy." Like I'm just so sick of candy. It's just it's everywhere at school. I don't want it. So I feel like I almost like got to that point by accident, if that makes sense. Because I think when we talked about it in the program, like somebody else had just for a few weeks, they felt like they ate terribly and they weren't happy with all of their food choices. So then getting to that point, they were able to move forward and start to make better food choices for themselves. And I kind of feel like this week on accident, that's what I've been doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so scary for people to, to let they feel like they're losing control if they allow themselves to eat all the candy or to not follow anything, you know, be quote off track, right? Um, so that process can be scary, but it's almost like the necessary thing in order for you to say, wait a second, like, I don't feel good. I don't want this anymore, or it's not exciting anymore. When you give yourself complete permission to eat the candy anytime, any day for any reason, it's not as thrilling anymore. And then you'll
2: decide not to. Yeah. And I think (laughs) that's kind of like exactly what happened. Cause like, I just, it almost like, like thinking about candy right now is not exciting. Like, I just don't want another piece of candy right now for, I don't know how long, but yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a lot, you know, I think if people listening to this are like, no, I just don't believe you or like, but I don't want that to happen, but I don't want to eat all the candy all the time. They're scared of that. I just want them to know. I think that's kind of the beauty of what working together and giving yourself that time and space and to coach people through it is, is for, because I understand that doing that can be hard or challenging or scary on your own. But it's like when, when you have someone coaching you through it, or you have sort of an end goal in mind, or you have a community and a, a group that's supporting you in it, and you're relating on all these topics, it makes it less scary. And, and then you see it for yourself. And you're like, Oh, wow, that really did happen. That really did work. It's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. And with that, too, like, going back to my 18 year old self, just because I, I feel like, knowing a lot of your audience, because I know I keep kind of Referring back to my 18-year-old self, what I do know you work with a lot of younger athletes who do struggle. So she would definitely be terrified of what we're talking about and not believe it at all. Yeah. And actually, I think I left this out too. Like when I went away to college and started to get more into drugs and alcohol, there was a period before that where I was in a binging over exercising pattern. mhm. I had no control. I just, I kept eating the candy, right? I kept eating the sugar and I did not have control over it. But I think what's so important about what you just said is that I didn't have any support at that time. And like, I was super isolating. wasn't really like making friends even. So I had no one to like even feel comfortable saying like, Hey, I'm I'm not okay right now. So yeah, doing it, I think just working with somebody in a supportive environment is definitely huge.
1: Yeah, totally. And I'll pause for a moment. I appreciate you being so aware of of my audience. So I want to pause for a moment and just let listeners know that I have a few different ways that I can help clients. And for people who do need more support, maybe for those younger female athletes, we do offer more intensive support and programming versus what Alana went through is, is our group coaching. And that's because even though she might have you know, this, this past she's, she was in such a different place when, when you came to me, you're in such a different place. And I wouldn't say that you had an eating disorder, or disordered eating, even we just had, we just wanted to figure out how to fuel better and have some help in the process. And so I have a different program for um, people like Alana, and you don't even need to have a, a past like that necessarily. If you're just like, I, you know, relating to the, yeah, I heard that I'm supposed to eat. I had a client this week say, I heard I was supposed to eat 25 vegetables, different vegetables a week to help my hormones. Is that true? And I was like, okay, let's talk about this. No, I don't even know if I can name 25 different vegetables off the top of my head right now, you know? um, So, so we do have different programs depending on exactly what your needs are. And so if you need that intensive, support if if this does seem scary overwhelming or you're relating more to alana's 18 year old self we have programming for that or if you're someone more where alana's at now where it's like i just need a little bit more guidance a little more support a little more teasing out of this a little bit more you know application and individualization to myself to fuel better and i'll say perform better because we haven't really even chatted about this yet alana but you know, you have performance goals, you're a strength and conditioning coach, you, you know, you have goals in that regard, too. So dialing in your nutrition was important, not just for not being confused with all the mixed messaging, but for your personal athletic goals. And I'm curious to know, you know, you're not training for anything specific right now, but how has these shifts in your nutrition Uh, made a difference in kind of your your everyday training and performance, has it?
2: Yeah, I'm happy you asked that. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about how we were talking about how you had me eating more carbs throughout the day. And very quickly, once I started to do that, I noticed that I had so much more energy in the weight room throughout the day. Like, I think I just kind of sort of gotten back into weightlifting um, in the gym just because COVID had happened. So like, I think we, I started going back in like March or April consistently. And then I started working with you around August ish. So like I was making slow progress during that time, but also like kind of feeling almost like just bored and stale with my training too. And then once I started to eat more throughout the day, I had the energy again to like go in and it was fun because then I started to, be able to lift the same amount of weight, but with less effort. And I think a lot of it was the food. It was also like just a little bit of of timing. Um, But yeah, I definitely had more energy there as well. So I think like as I worked with you and being able to see that shift definitely also helped me kind of build that trust to be like, hey, if I keep doing this, like eating the more carbs during the day, then yes, I won't have cravings at night. But like also I'm going to go crush it in the gym more. So win, win. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Win-win. It's more fun. You feel better about your performance and, and your day is just better. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And that, that motivation builds too, right? It's that momentum of sometimes because Sometimes I think as athletes, we can get into like we, we want to train most days, but then we get into those funks or like low motivation or something. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. But if one of them is your nutrition, it's like we'll change your nutrition. And that might give you that momentum and get you re-excited about your training plan or what it is you're doing it kind of builds momentum there, too.
2: Yeah, and also one thing that we had talked about, and it wasn't just me, like it was a lot of the women on the call was to have food like to have a pre and a post workout because I just like completely forgot that that was a thing I should be doing so I think once we did that too it gave me a little bit of a boost to go into the gym it kind of almost felt like when I would have snack before working out like this is my pre-workout so it felt like that and Oh, also one thing that I still do from when we talked about with the post-workout is we talked about like having – I haven't had a Pop-Tart yet, but something like a Pop-Tart after you work out just to help yeah. your muscles get that sugar back in them. So I, I still like do if a piece of candy's around. Like, yes, I'll enjoy that after working out. So, yeah, that's that's definitely been a fun thing I've been utilizing still.
1: Yeah. You know, that's the second time you kind of mentioned of like, yeah I just kind of forgot or just kind of stopped you know doing pre and post workout or i just kind of forgot about how many carbs i should be eating and and so i think i just want to highlight how common that is for people again we might have the knowledge but we're so you know caught up in our lives and we forget exactly what to do and the, and this is the value of having someone point it out to you or challenge you to it and then to go through the process and and remind yourself of oh yeah this is why this is why i'm doing it cuz i feel better cuz i'm fueled better cuz i'm crushing it in the gym better and so yeah it's it's a lot of people might be knowledgeable about things but we're not actually doing it in our day-to-day lives and and that's the value of a coach and i want to actually shift gears as i'm talking about that now and say the value of a coach and i i kind of want to just shine the light on you Alana you have your own business as a strength and conditioning coach and uh, you call it the better coach, which I love. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to share with, with our listeners, you know, what type of clientele that you help personally?
2: Yeah. And thank you for the opportunity uh, for that. So yeah, the better coach it's geared towards youth female athletes. So right now most of my clients are middle school. Some are actually a little bit younger, and I work on with them building strength, but also learning how to move their bodies a little bit better. Um, so I guess to go into that a little bit more, my, most of my experience in the working with clients and athletes in the weight room have been with high school or college level. So once I started working with the middle school level, for me, it was a learning experience because I realized that middle school age... Humans, most of them don't really know how to move their body in space. Like they don't really know exactly what's going on or even like just how to run correctly. They don't really get taught the basics or how to squat correctly or how their elbows shouldn't be flaring out when they do push ups or even like the right way to hold a plank. So with the middle schoolers, it's a lot of doing that and those basics and then just using mostly their body weight to build up their strength to be able to run faster and not get injured when they go on to play in high school and then I also do things with them to help their confidence as well because as we kind of been talking about just confidence was something that I personally really struggled with on and off the field so like one of my clients right now we're working on this isn't confidence this is actually a little bit nutrition they they just don't drink water (laughs) like they're in middle school and they just don't drink water I think they have like a cup at the end of the day I'm like all right let's bring a water bottle to school (laughs) Um, so like we're working on stuff like that, but then I do also like, there's another client over the summer that I worked with, we worked on confidence and I would have them utilize different tactics. Like one that they really liked was a a little higher highlight reel. So at the end of our sessions, I would just have them, they would just lay there for two minutes and I would just have them think about like their best moment ever. It didn't even have to be in soccer. And they would just think about that in detail. They love that. So Yes, that's in a nutshell what the better coach is.
1: Yeah, I love it. And I also I've had so many conversations with people on this podcast as well, talking about how athletes like we're specializing so much sooner, you know, at a younger age, they're specializing or getting more competitive. When I say so much sooner, I guess I mean, like, even for me, when I was a youth athlete, and I was pretty competitive, and gymnastics was my main sport. So I did get into that young and kind of specialize in that. But I was still doing other things. I was still doing basketball, skiing, soccer, you know, being kind of multi sported. And then even the generation before me probably wasn't even that dialed in and was more just doing like playtime. So it's like as our generations of youth athletes continue, we seem to be specializing in a specific sport, younger and younger and younger, you know, you have 12 year olds that identify as runners, like I'm a runner. And it's like, wow. But if you haven't had some fundamentals to really build up your strength, and like you said, learn how to run properly or squat properly, because if we're specializing so much so early, and we don't have those fundamentals down, I think that's where we run into issues with form with injury as well as the mindset piece, like feeling that pressure, the eating piece, not doing everything quite quite well or quite right. And that's, I think, a lot of our youth athletes are getting burnout, getting injured, developing eating disorders at a younger and younger and younger age because of this. So I really value the work that you're doing of addressing those fundamentals with your youth athletes and also bringing in that, okay, I'm training them, but we're also... We're getting them to drink enough water. We're getting them to uh, build their confidence, you know, all those important things. And I want to highlight too, like on your website, which I'll include the links in the, in the show notes, you have some, some blogs, Uh, you put out blogs recent often, and you have some that I, I just think really highlight exactly what you're talking about, about how lifting will not make you bulky. So kind of addressing a lot of fears that a lot of female athletes and youth athletes have, you have a blog called your body is amazing. So really helping people embrace that and and who better than to come from you, somebody who's kind of been through the ringer with that. And another one called stop using Exercise as punishment, which is just so great to hear from a strength coach of this is this is not punishment. This is something to bring joy and goodness into your life.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's awesome that you went in there and you um, you wrote. You're featured on the "Why Lifting will Make You Bulky" one, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good stuff on there, Alana. So, so amazing work that you're doing, and we will include your your links because you you do work with people locally to the New Jersey area, but you also have some some virtual options. Is that right?
2: Yes, I do.
1: Okay, great. So if you're in the New Jersey area, you're wonderful, and if you're not, you can still reach out to Alana.
2: Yes, for sure. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. So Alana, just to kind of close this out, I'd love to know if you have any final advice to listeners or people who might be interested in joining some of the nutrition programs here at Rise Up Nutrition and and getting that help and support
2: like you did. Yeah, I think I have two. One for like my 18 year old self and anyone out there who's more in that camp. And then one for, I guess, more people who relate to more of me today. Right. So yeah. One of the things I really liked about working with you is that when you're in the thick of your eating disorder, like you don't trust anybody. And it's really difficult to listen to a dietitian. Even if you know you need to be there, it's really difficult to trust that dietitian and to not listen to your eating disorder. But one thing that was i at least believe it might have been a little bit easier i feel like to work with you because you were just so transparent and honest with not only like your past when you thought it would be helpful but also like there are just some days where even you share in like your little wins or just something like that week that you had done and been through and it just made it so much, like you were just very much relatable i feel like and that was like super helpful and i actually would think after a few times we'd get on our calls how like man, I wish I worked with someone like her when I was 18. So like if you're, if you're scared or you're thinking about doing it, I definitely like give it a shot for sure because that was super helpful. And then for more of my today self and my now, I guess the advice, probably similar, but like not on <laughs> as much of an extreme level. Like if you're just like confused, I I love how you respected Everything I came in with, like you expected that I value where my food comes from. And you were also open to just letting me kind of explore what my relationship with sugar and processed food is going to be on my own. But you kind of guided me to figuring that out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And thank you for that feedback as well. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think that is my personal style of respecting that there is a different way of doing nutrition for everybody. So, as much as I might have my personal beliefs, it's it's really not up to me to just like throw that at you. It's I how did I come to find my personal beliefs with food nutrition? It's through going through this process which I now teach to other people. You know, I want you to figure out your your nutrition, your relationship with food and not just adopt my way and I never really thought about that until you just said that right now, Alana. So, yeah.
2: yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. So, well, wonderful advice, Alana. And thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you for sharing both, you know, where you're at now and, you know, your past and where you were before. And actually, really, like, this was an awesome conversation to highlight. Not only like your journey and your experiences, but also it it lines up perfectly with um, like the services I provide, because it really is like if you relate to Alana, 18 year old self, we can help you with that. If you relate to Alana right now, we can help you with that, too. So thank you again so much, Alana.
2: Yeah, thank you, too. This was so much fun.
1: Okay. We're recording again. I almost wrapped up this podcast and then I realized I forgot to ask Alana all of our fun questions at the end of every episode. So Alana, if there's one food you could eat every single day for the rest of your life and never get sick of it, what would that be? Sushi sushi although if we reflect back on our earlier conversation if we ate a food every single day maybe we would get sick of it just like candy <laughs> i don't know i don't know right but sushi amazing is there good sushi in new jersey we yeah the ocean's like not too far yeah so it's good all right awesome awesome you are uh, we've had that answer quite a few times so it's yeah yeah people i i love sushi too it's one of definitely one of, up there as far as cuisines go Amazing. All right, Alana, what is your favorite sport to participate in?
2: I think it's still gotta be soccer.
1: Yeah. Lifelong soccer lover. What about as a spectator?
2: I love watching professional hockey. I'm a big Rangers fan.
1: Awesome. I like hockey too, because it's such a fast paced like sport. It's so fast and yeah. kind of just thrilling amazing all right alana and then if there is a female athlete out there whether professional or someone in your personal life that you want to give a shout out to for just being a role model or being what we call fierce fit and fueled who would
2: that be and why so i kind of have two right so i guess the first one isn't there's also multiple there so <laughs> uh, growing up just like the whole women's soccer team in the late 1990s like mia Han, brandy chastain that whole team, like I just looked up to them so much and they're like still doing pretty awesome things now. So all of them. And then also I just feel like there's a lot of female athletes out there like me who like might not necessarily compete, but we just love working out and going hard and are just still putting in the work every day because we love it. Um, So yes to to those girls or women.
1: I love it. And, and I wish there was like a better term we can come up with for us. Cause sometimes we're like, you know, the everyday athlete or like the recreational athlete and it doesn't give us enough credit. Right.
2: Yeah. Cause even when you say that, like, I feel like there's still a, well, you're not a real athlete, right?
1: Uh, yeah. It doesn't feel right. It's like, how can we, how can we say, what can we call ourselves?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. We'll have to, I'll get back to you on that unless you have one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go with my slogan here. We are the fierce, fierce fit and fueled athletes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I, I love that. Thank you for giving everybody a shout out. You don't have to to be like, you know, professional, high level. You're out there. You're getting after it. You're doing your sport. You're doing your thing. And that's, it's impressive for everybody who's doing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome, Alana. Again, thank you so much. Glad we snuck in these questions at the end. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm happy you you remember them because I I would not have.
1: (laughs) Fans, I hope you enjoyed this episode and conversation. If it did help you, then I want to direct you to where
0: you can sign up for our email list. If you think the podcast is helpful, then you will also find our monthly emails helpful and our blogs helpful. And I'm also super excited to drop some new materials on you all very, very soon to include online courses and swag. That's right. Although my specialty is coaching clients one-on-one individually to their goals, I do know many female athletes are looking
1: for more digital resources that they can take advantage of on their own time. And that is coming super, super soon. So if you get on our email list, then you will be one of the very first to know and even get early bird pricing. No joke. I've been working on this and some other big things for Rise Up Nutrition for a while now. And I want you as a loyal fan a female athlete nutrition podcast listener to be one of the first to know about these new and exciting things so again if you like the podcast i'm sure you'll love all the other stuff so get on our email list and stay in the loop the direct link to sign up just submit your email is in the show notes so look for that or you can always head to our website www.riseupnutritionrun.com thank you so much and happy holidays